How's that? Are we better? Yep, there we go. Good, good. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the help in the back. So, yeah, it's Christmas time, whether you like it or not. Uh, and how about the snow, huh? How about ordering up snow for the uh, very first week of the Christmas series? Yeah, how, how about that working out? But it is, it is Christmas time, uh, whether you like to believe it or not. With Thanksgiving in the past, we rush uh, right away. Uh, Walgreens has had their Christmas decorations up since May, but, uh, but we're getting started today and talking about Christmas. And, and Christmas means a variety of things. It means Christmas lights and gifts and decorations and Yuletide carols and mistletoe and all that good stuff. But it also means Christmas movies. And I don't know if you're a movie fan or not, or I don't know if you're a Christmas movie fan or not, but if you pay attention to the TV over the next weeks, chances are you'll get to see some of your favorites. And I was thinking this past week about what some of the best Christmas movies uh, there are that are out there that you might see over the next, first few, uh, the next weeks. The first one is It's a Wonderful Life, okay? That's a given. Uh, most of you probably guess this. I have never actually seen this movie, and I know it's on every single year. And who, who's, who's favorite right here? It's a Wonderful Life. Any, okay, some hands around the room. All right, how about this one? A Christmas Story, all right? Now, who loves Ralphie? <laughs> Yeah, everybody loves Ralphie. If you haven't seen this movie, just stay tuned to Christmas Day because TBS will show up for 24 hours straight, all right? Now, here's the thing. I've, I love this movie, but I've never seen it from beginning to end straight through in one sitting. I've just seen, I know I've seen every minute of it, but it's always been in different pieces just by watching it on TBS. And then we've got the uh, ever-famous uh, Charlie Brown Christmas you know, you can't go wrong with Charlie Brown Christmas. I think it's even going to be on this, this coming week. And then the all-time classic, Christmas Vacation. Uh, how many of you busted out Christmas Vacation on Thanksgiving night? Because I know that's a tradition in some homes. We've got a couple of people around the room. Fact is, every family has a Cousin Eddie. You know, you've got a Cousin Eddie in your house or in your home or in your family, and you know it. But you might not be familiar with this one. Or it might not come to you as quick, quickly, but it is an all-time classic and probably one of the more popular Christmas movies of all time, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Huh? Has anybody actually ever seen it? Come on, would anybody admit it? Well, I found it on the internet this past week. It's pretty fascinating. I found the synopsis for this movie, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, and I just want to read it for you. Martians... Upset that their children have become obsessed with TV shows from Earth, which extol the virtues of Santa Claus, start an expedition to Earth to kidnap the one and only Santa. While on Earth, they kidnap two lively children that lead the group of Martians to the North Pole and Santa. The Martians then take Santa and the two children back to Mars with them. Voldar, a particularly grumpy Martian, attempts to do away with the children and Santa before they get to Mars, but their leader, Lomas, stops him. When they arrive on Mars, Santa, with the help of the two Earth children and a rather simple-minded Martian lackey, overcomes the Martians by bringing fun, happiness, and Christmas cheer to the children of Mars. Now, here's the thing. If you, need, you, if you think you need a boost to get into the Christmas season this year, I want to recommend to every single one of you that you find a blockbuster on the way home today, pick up Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, go home, start a fire, snuggle up in a blanket, and watch this film, and it is sure to remedy any Christmas blues that you might have uh, in your life. So Christmas means shopping, or uh, lights, and movies, and all that stuff. Well, we all know that Christmas means shopping, too. Now, how many of you ventured out into this world on Black Friday and, and did some shopping? Okay, most people around the room are guilty of it. Now, let, let's, let's break it down even further. How many of you were out 
before 7 o'clock a.m. on Black Friday. Okay, I see a few around the room, even T-Rock, our children's director, out before 7 a.m. All right, how many of you out before 6 a.m.? All right, hands up. Keep your hands up. How many of you out before 5 a.m.? Hands are still up. How many of you out before 4 a.m.? All right, how many of you out before 3 a.m.? 2 a.m.? 1 a.m.? How many of you spent the night in a Coleman tent outside of Walmart the night before uh, Black Friday? Okay, we've got, some, we've got plenty of hands around the room of people out uh, on Black Friday. Why? Well, I was looking on the internet this past week, and I, fa- I, I was looking for what are the more popular Christmas gifts this season. Probably the gifts that you're going to have trouble finding in the stores because they're sure to be under your tree this Christmas. So the five best Christmas gifts this season. The first one is the Nintendo Wii. Okay, you can't go wrong with the Nintendo Wii. Uh, my boy, Joel's uh, personal favorite. Uh, the second phone, the second one would be the iPhone. Uh, my personal favorite, the iPhone, sure to be under many Christmas trees this Christmas. Uh, third, I know Ben Krause's favorite, any Hannah Montana toy. Uh, anything that has to do with Hannah Montana is all about Ben Krause. Uh, so if you're looking for something to give him this Christmas, a poster, t-shirt, anything at all. Uh, this is a popular item for this coming Christmas. It's called a caster board. Uh, it's like a skateboard, a little bit different, a little more aerodynamic. But the gift that you're going to have the most difficulty finding this Christmas is for sure the Renova toilet paper. Uh, the colored toilet paper goes for about $15 a roll, and it is the gift that keeps on giving. And so, uh, again, a tough gift to find, but if you can find it, sure to be a pleaser uh, in anybody else's house. Well, for many people, uh, Christmas is a pretty exciting time, you know, and especially as children, we look forward to this season. If your kids are like mine, they get real excited about seeing lights in someone else's yard or, or putting up the Christmas tree maybe later on today as we're thinking about doing, and, and they get excited about gifts. And maybe you're still a kid at heart or you've been a person with some great traditions in your life, and, and so you've always looked forward to Christmas, and whether it's the decorations or the gifts or, or the cookies or maybe all the traditions, you love Christmas and you can't wait for the season. But, but that's not the case for everybody. And truth be known... Christmas and Thanksgiving combined can be one of the more difficult seasons uh, for people. You know, maybe it's just simply the traffic, and the traffic drives you, you crazy and insane, and you avoid 82nd Street as best as you can, or uh, just being out and being all the traffic, or maybe it's the idea of the travel and packing your family up on this weekend and that weekend, and I know especially if you're a young couple and trying to get to both sets of families and to keep everybody happy can be very stressful. Maybe it's, it's just money. Maybe when you think about money and, and you know that the budget is already tight this year, it's been a difficult season and you're just trying to pay all the bills and now Christmas is upon you. And so you're thinking about, okay, what am I going to buy my spouse? And, and we need to make sure that our kids have a good Christmas. And then you've got the gift exchange at work and then you've got the gift exchange with friends and then it's the food and the parties and everything. And so it's just the stress of money. I mean, to you, Christmas is just a big dollar sign and it creates a lot of stress and a lot of havoc in your life. But but maybe it goes so much deeper than a gift or, or your credit card. But maybe this season just highlights the fact that you're still single. And once again, you're going to spend this Christmas without anyone else, and it'll be highlighted every fu- family function that you're still living by yourself. Or, or maybe Christmas will just highlight in greater ways the fact that your marriage has fallen apart or has fallen apart, and, and it's just right out there in the open, and the conversation's going to come up in multiple circles, and you're going to have to deal with it. 
Or it's just the unresolved tension between you and your sister that, that dates back some time, but it's there. It's present every Christmas and you can't work through it and, and you just don't even really look forward to seeing each other. Or maybe it's about seeing your dad and you know that you've never really forgiven him. And so you've just got to fake and act like that nothing's wrong once again this time. And for some, Christmas is, is just a great season of depression too. But could we stop for just a second here this morning? I mean, as we get into this, this rat race of this Christmas season, could we stop right here and just ask this question? Is that really the point of Christmas? I mean, was it really the point of Christmas, the point of sending Jesus Christ to earth, that Christmas would become all of these other things to us? Whether good or challenging or negative or whatever they may be, was it supposed to be about stress? Is it supposed to be about pain and, and tough memories? Is it supposed to be about presence? And there, there's nothing wrong with gift giving. Okay, it's a great tradition. It's a great thing to be able to give a gift to someone else. But I don't think that God, when he sent his son Jesus Christ to this world, ever imagined that one country would spend $450 billion a year exchanging stuff with one another. But instead, Christmas is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the story of promise and of hope and a love that is still changing the world today. And if that's the truth then what happened? What went wrong? At what point did we take this great turn as a nation or as a world from the true meaning of what it means to celebrate during this time? That it somehow turned into this season of stress and traffic jams and shopping lists. And come December 26, many of us will be left with this empty feeling, with these ugly sweaters to return, with these gifts card, gift cards to use and this great debt, but this empty feeling that somehow we missed once again, the purpose of Christmas. And so I ask, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Is that what you want Christmas to be? But what if it could be different? What if it could all change this year? And it just starts with you making a decision that this year is going to be different. I mean, what if Christmas could become this world-changing event once again by turning our focus back to the birth of Christ, to set our sights on it? What could happen to your family if you celebrated Christmas in a totally unexpected way? What if you could trade your season of stress for a season of celebration? And so that's why this morning we start right here. This is the beginning this morning of this Advent Conspiracy series. It's, it's really this game of tug of war that's happening all around us, but it's happening inside each of us. It's this game of tug of war between shopping and lights and traditions and stress and Jesus. And we get caught up in the middle of it, and we have to make this decision what direction we're going to go. Are we going to go with the shopping and, and, and the Christmas gifts and, and, and the, uh, the trees and the decorations and, and the bad traditions and the stress and the Christmas movies? Or are we going to choose Jesus and set our sights and our focus on Him and truly let Him be the reason you know, for this season, this year? And so our goal over the next few weeks 
is to make a decision as individuals to choose the sacred over the secular. It's to choose Jesus Christ before anything else and to live counterculturally and allow Him to influence the way we celebrate Christmas this season. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn as we start here this morning to the book of Matthew. Go to your New Testament and go to the very first book in the New Testament to the book book of Matthew, and this is where we'll begin. A little background first. The New Testament includes four Gospels or four accounts of good news. The word gospel just literally means good news. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels or these good news. And each of these Gospels are accounts of Jesus' life told through the perspective of that particular individual. And so Matthew's writings of Jesus' life are through his, his vantage point. Same with Luke, same with Mark, same with, same with John. And each of them wrote to a different audience. And that's so important to remember, especially as we begin here today, that Matthew was writing to a particular group of people as he told these accounts of Jesus. Uh, Mark, he wrote to the Christians living in and around Rome. That was the focus of his writing. Luke, he was a physician. He wrote to the, to the Greek audience. He, he kept them in mind as he recorded all of these events. John wrote to the Christians living throughout the Roman Empire. And here's where we begin this morning with Matthew. Matthew writing, excuse me, writing from his perspective, and he was writing to the Jews. He was writing to the Jews, not only to the Jewish Christians, but to those Jews who had not uh, accepted Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as a convincing way, as proof that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God, that He was the Messiah who had come. And so here's a little bit of a backdrop of where the world is as Matthew begins writing here in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus entered human history when the land of Israel was nothing but an insignificant outpost in the Roman Empire. While the rule of Rome brought military peace throughout the world, it didn't end oppression, it didn't end slavery, it didn't end injustice, and it did not end any immorality. And so the Jews resented the intrusion of the Romans uh, into their everyday life. It was into this world of conflict that Jesus Christ came. And when we, uh, more than 400 years had passed in, since the last Old Testament prophecies when we pick up here in Matthew, and faithful Jews had been waiting for Jesus to come. They had been waiting for this Messiah as the Old Testament prophets had promised. And so Matthew wrote his book to the Jews to present Jesus as King and as Messiah, the promised descendant who would reign forever. So look with me, if you would, to the opening here in Matthew chapter 1, uh, even beginning in verse 1. Matthew begins with this long list of names, all right? It's this long list, 16 verses of names, this ancestral order. And you might recognize some of the names as you scan this list. You know, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. If you skip down to verse 5, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David. If you go down a little bit further, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. If you go even further to verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born to, who, who, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Matthew included these names for a reason. There's a purpose to this list and to this order. Remember, Matthew is writing to the Jews. Now, 
giving a record of genealogy right here at this time to this audience, uh, this genealogy of Jesus was the most interesting way that Matthew could begin a book to a Jewish audience. And the Old Testament is full of genealogies. And genealogies were given for a couple of reasons. First, they traced ancestral claims uh, to the positions of authority. Secondly, uh, genealogies were outlines for tracing history. Third, they revealed ancestral origins. And so because a person's family proved his or her standing as one of God's chosen people, Matthew began by showing that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, the father of all the Jews, and was also a descendant of King David, a direct descendant of King David, both fulfilling prophecies about the, uh, the uh, Messiah's line. Now, for a Jew reading this or hearing this, they have, would have reverted back to these Old Testament prophecies and remember that this was the one that the Old Testament prophets spoke of, that he would come from Abraham, that he would come through King David. And so this was especially important to the Jewish people. Now, we say, wow, that's neat, Paul, that's wow. Wow, cool. What do I do with that? How does that affect me or change my life this afternoon while I'm watching Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? Well, here's what hit me as I read this this past week. God has always had a plan. God has always had a plan. And when you read the Old Testament and you see all of these different crazy things that are happening, each of these events were allowed to happen for a purpose in order to prepare people for Jesus. And that's what Matthew's doing here. And maybe this morning, you're here and you have no reason to know why. Your world is out of control right now. Your life is a mess. Your kids are driving you crazy and your marriage is hanging on by a thread. And Christmas, for you, is nothing but this huge bump in the road. Know this, hear this, God's in control. He's in control of your life. He has always had a plan, and His plan for you involves Jesus. God's plan for your life involves Jesus Christ, and this is a great season to be reminded of that. And so as we pick up here in verse 16, again it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, we find that the family line was traced all the way to this man by the name of Joseph. And we all know Joseph as the father of Jesus. And let's pick up in verse 18. Skip over a verse, if you would, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what Matthew says. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, was Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that we notice from this text is that Joseph was pledged to be married, or Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now the process for entering into a marriage then was similar, uh, but quite different than our customs today. Today you date someone, you get engaged, and maybe eight to ten months later you get married. Well, it was different then. There were two important prerequisites to the actual marriage day that I I think are kind of interesting. The first was what they would call the engagement. All right, now we know that term, but their engagement was different than ours. The engagement took place when the couple were children. And so maybe at about the age of eight, 
the parents would come together of these two children, and they would arrange through these sets of willing parents for their children to eventually marry. And there were even professional matchmakers to help with this. You realize this? Okay, so there were some Dr. Neil Clark Warrens, the eHarmony guy that existed even here during this time that would help parents come together and match their children. And, and so this guy would help families make all of the arrange, arrangements and then the families would agree on a price. And then in the end, when the agreement was made, the father of the bride would receive a, a, a sum of money for his daughter. Well, when the couple grew older, and again, they were still living apart and living with their families, a public announcement was made, and the couple moved from engagement to pledged, or what is also called betrothal. Uh, And so they were pledged. Now, to be pledged is similar to being engaged today. The pledge was more serious. It, It carried legal rights. It was actually like a binding contract. And while the couple was not officially married, their relationship could only be broken through death or be broken through divorce. Now, they did not live together. Sex was not permitted during this time. And the couple continued to live with their own families for another year until the actual wedding day. And so a couple was engaged as young children. A public announcement was made when they were in their teens And then when that public announcement took place, they were pledged for about a year until the actual wedding day when they finally came together, moved in, uh, and moved on. And so Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married here in verse 18. Their parents had arranged uh, for the wedding, and they didn't live together, but they were socially tied together. The only way it could be broken would be through a divorce or through death. Now, what does the second part of this verse say here in verse 18 again? It says, they were pledged, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but here's the second part now. But before they came together, so that means no honeymoon, you know, there's no trip to Puerto Vallarta or Cancun or anything like that. You know, they didn't spend a night at the Jerusalem Hilton. You know, the marriage had not been yet consummated. And if you still don't get the point, they have not yet had sex, okay? So they had not yet come together. And then what does the third part of that verse say? She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, when a woman is found to be pregnant today, especially a teen outside of marriage, it's pretty shocking news, okay? It, it, it gets people talking, you know? It gets people fired up and people get a little stirred and, and we start talking to one another about what happened, all right? Well, this time during this, this part of history, this, this is shocking news. Uh, this, this is uncalled for. This is unacceptable, I mean, it rocked the world when this happened here in Matthew 1. And there was a time to celebrate pregnancy, but this was not one of those times. And Joseph had no part of this. I mean, he had been good. He was sleeping in his own bed, all right? And Mary is found to be with child. And Mary's assumed unfaithfulness here carried enormous social consequences. I mean, her reputation, definitely, but it got worse than that. According to Jewish law, Joseph had a couple of rights. First of all, the Jewish law would have permitted him to stone his wife and kill her. He had every right to do so. Now, while at this time it was pretty uncommon, he could have chosen this method. But the second right, and the more popular of the two rights, would have been that he could have divorced her. And to, vo- to divorce her would have meant to, to, to subject her to a life of humiliation and absolute rejection from society. But what does the text tell us next? She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And nobody else knew this. And we'll come back to it in a few minutes. 
verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so Joseph had a choice to make. He's caught in the middle of this crazy situation, and he's got a choice to make. The woman he is pledged to be married to is found with child, and he's got to decide what to do. It was complicated, probably the most difficult decision that he ever faced. He was caught in the middle of this game of tug of war between his rights and maybe what the right thing to do actually was. And it's obvious that he loved Mary, but he struggled between what was wrong and what was right and the view of being guilty versus actually being innocent. And he's caught right in the middle of it, and he's got to decide what to do. And the Bible says that he was a righteous man. He was stuck. And so he came up with a plan. And marrying Mary would have been viewed as an admission of guilt when he wasn't guilty. Divorcing her would have been subjecting her to a life of public disgrace. And so standing in the middle of all this, he compromised. And the Bible says that he made the decision to divorce her quietly, meaning that they would call off the wedding in a quiet manner and just kind of hope that the news would eventually die off over time and people would even forget that they were pledged to be married. But just when it couldn't get a little more complicated, Joseph faced another front. Look at verse 20. It says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And God often spoke to people through dreams during this time, and he chose to speak to Joseph. And now Joseph had a very difficult decision to make. I was reading an article this past week. I thought it was kind of interesting. I just want to read a portion of it to you. It says, in 1958, the University of Buffalo football team won eight of nine regular season games and was awarded the Lambert Cup as the best small school program in the eastern U.S. Team captains Nick Botini and Luke, or Lou Real received the trophy during a Sunday night broadcast of the Ed Sullivan Show and dined that evening in Manhattan's famous Two Shores restaurant. Days later, the Bulls were invited to face Florida State in the 13th annual Tangerine Bowl in Orlando, Florida. Still the school's only bid in 102 years of football. You think IU football's bad, Buffalo football's really bad, okay? 102 years of football. Now, in anticipation of their trip south, players were measured for new sport coats at the Kleinhands Company in downtown Buffalo, but before the fabric for the coats was cut, the university learned that the, two, that, that the team's two African-American players, starting halfback Willie Evans and reserve defensive end Mike Wilson, were not welcome in Orlando. The Orlando High School Athletic Association, the Tangerine Bowl Stadium's leaseholder, prohibited blacks and whites from playing together, and the Bulls would only be allowed to play if Wilson and Evans did not play. And so the university and coach Dick Offenheimer left it to the team to decide whether to accept the bid or not to the Tangerine Bowl. 
The players gathered in the basement room of Clark Gymnasium on the Buffalo campus to take a vote. Botine and Rial held small paper ballots in their hands, but before they could pass them out, the players spontaneously and unanimously rejected the bid. For them, it really wasn't a difficult decision. Joseph had a choice to make. And as we read it and as we try and understand what was going on culturally and socially at this time, it, it, it looks like a very difficult decision that he had to make. I mean, he could act on his rights, he could follow all the social norms and and give in to the way of the secular and divorce Mary and move on with his life and meet someone else and regain his reputation, or he could choose another way, the way of the sacred. And if he followed God's prompting, he could embrace this revelation from God, this news that Mary was carrying the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You know, and I think in some ways we face a similar decision this Christmas. I mean, we can choose the way of the norm. We we can choose the way of the secular and we can get wrapped up into everything Christmas, even good but some bad. And we can just run through the motions this Christmas and, and it can be Christmas 08 just like every other Christmas we've ever spent. And it can become the gift list and the stress and the hurt for us. Or we can make a different choice this year. Every single person can make a different choice and say, you know what, for me, Christmas is going to be different this year. I'm going to choose the truth. I'm going to choose the way of the sacred. I'm going to choose Jesus. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior of the world. It's the reason why we have the hope to live. What could that do for you this year? How could that change the next four or five weeks of your life? If you made a decision this morning that it's going to be about Jesus and nothing else, and rather than be consumed by money and gifts, you could just make a decision right here today that you're just not going to let it get out of control this year. All right, and let me say again, there's nothing wrong with Christmas presents and there's nothing wrong with giving gifts to children and to people that we love, but could we just not be stupid and say, you know what, I'm not going to let it get out of control this year. I'm not going to get so overwhelmed by keeping up with tradition or or keeping up with someone else in the family that I'm going to go haywire on my spending and put myself into a difficult situation. And maybe you could get creative and do some different things. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a couple of weeks. But maybe rather than buy your kid a $50 video game that he'll get tired of or conquer in a week, you know, maybe you could make a decision as a mom or a dad to spend the entire day with your kid doing something different. You know, just take them out for a day and blow 50 bucks on them and just have a good time just spending some quality time with your child. Or, or, or men, take your wives out for a night on the town. You know, and just go spend that time with them rather than, you know, get them a piece of clothing. Now, maybe they'll come back to you later on and say, no, I actually want the sweater, okay? So, so you, you, need, you check in with them, but you choose. Don't give in to the norm, all right? Make a decision here this morning that it's going to be different, that you're going to let Jesus be the focus. But maybe it's about stress and, and kind of a hectic schedule for you. And so take control of your schedule this month. Choose your family over and over again. You will never go wrong by choosing your family over and over again. Make them your focus this Christmas. 
But maybe for you, as you think about Christmas, it's all about, you know, the pain of relationships. Would you be willing to take a chance and invite God to do a work in your life over the next few weeks? I mean, pray that God would give you the strength to confront someone that's wronged you. And you know they're just front and center anytime you think about Christmas. So what would happen if you confronted them? Is there a possibility that that relationship could move to a better place? Or forgive someone that hurt you or let go of the resentment that has tangled you for years now? Or maybe it's just your marriage. And when you think about entering this season, your marriage comes front and center. And the problems rise to the surface. And you and your spouse, you know that things aren't good right now. Here's one of the best things that I think you could do this season. What if you took a personal responsibility for who you are in your marriage and you decided and understood maybe for the first time in a long time that marriage isn't so much about finding the right person as it is in being the right person in your marriage. And and as Joseph weighed these feelings towards Mary and, and everything else that was going on around him, I wonder if we would do well to do the same by taking a personal responsibility for who we are and of making a commitment this season to being the right person in our marriages and trust that no matter what happens, we're not calling it quits. We're going to work through this. And that's the choice that Joseph had to make. You know, things didn't get easy by choosing to stick with Mary. People still had questions. People still made comments. But they had to hang together to ride out the storm. And here's what made the whole thing easier. You know, in choosing to stick with Mary, Joseph was choosing Jesus Christ. And that was the real motivation behind his decision. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. It says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Not only did Joseph choose Mary, but more importantly, he was choosing Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And this is the one that the Jews had been waiting for for a thousand years. And he was coming to earth and Joseph had an opportunity to be a part of it. And so here's where we end today. Here's my challenge to you. You have a choice to make this morning. And it's your choice, and it's no one else's choice, and no one can make this decision for you. You can choose the usual, and you can choose the next four to five weeks, and you can run through the motions of Christmas, whether that be good or bad for you, and you can get caught up in everything that is even right and wrong of all the things that happen around us today with this Christmas season. Or you can choose Jesus, and you can let him be the motivation behind every decision that you make, every gift that you give, every family event that you attend to, every person that you come in contact with. You can choose Jesus. He can be the motivation behind your season, behind this season for you. And so what do you choose? 
What decision will you make?